0: Hey, I'm Hendel Leva, and welcome to the Immigration Mike Podcast, where I take you through the journey and story of every guest and the personal reason why they're fighting for immigrants across the nation in their own way. Find every episode of Immigration Mike on Apple Podcasts now. Here's what's going on with immigration in 20 seconds The government has been partially shut down for 16 days, 22 hours, 54 minutes, and 46 seconds because President Donald Trump wants $5 billion for the wall, which the Democrats will not give him. It is a non-starter. So this is impacting the IRS, national parks, and TSA at airports. Tomorrow night, Donald Trump is going to give a primetime address on the government shutdown to make his case to the American people for the border wall. Yeah, right. Hey, everyone. It's the week of January 7th, and today we have an interview with a DACA recipient from Peru, She's about to be a pastor in residence. She lives in Brooklyn and she's here to talk about her faith, her journey and the future. But before we get to it, the best way for first time listeners to support the podcast is by leaving your rating or your review on Apple podcasts. If you leave a review, I'll be sure to read it on the podcast, just like this review from Bonobe. So the review goes. Immigration Mike brings voices from across the country to talk about the intersections of our identities, what we call ours, how we make places for ourselves and the forces that pulls us from each other. The show's analysis on the many issues facing immigrant communities makes this an intimate view into why the political is personal. I've been a fan since 2016 and will continue to listen for episodes to come. Do yourself a favor and give it a listen. Well, thank you so much, and I agree. It's an intimate view as to why the political is personal. So leaving a review is the number one way to support the podcast and its guests. So show your love. Here's how to do it in three simple steps. Number one, open the podcast app on your iPhone. Two, scroll down to ratings and reviews and click on leave a review or just tap the, um, the stars and give it a five star rating and just rate and write your review. And that's it. So when you're done listening to this episode with Millie, go back and do this and I'll read your review on the future episode. And now it's time for a one of a kind, never before heard interview on Immigration Mike as we have this story, Move Immigration Conversations Forward. Remember to rate and review. Hey everyone, welcome back to Immigration M.I.C. This is January 3rd. I am here in Greenpoint, New York here with Miluska Mm Akihé. That's how you pronounce it, correct? Yes, that's how you pronounce it. Now tell me me again that little story about um, the joke that is associated with your name.
1: So unfortunately, because my name's really hard to pronounce, um, sometimes people have named me Millie and there we go also the joke of Millie Rock. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, but also once my young adults, um, so shout out to Hunter and Um, once my young adults actually find out my real name, which is Miluska Guije, they actually like to reprimand me. So every so, ever so often, if we have certain conversations, they'll be like, oh, Miluska Guije, don't do that. You know, so I know it's funny. So that's a little side joke for it.
0: Sure. And then, mm-hmm. so your name, I read on your website is from Russia, is that correct? Yes, and so I think it's very interesting because uh, so my name, Handel, mm-hmm. um, I, I believe it came from Germany, Ooh. I think it went down to Argentina, mm-hmm. I think I it, it went back up to Guatemala, and yeah. I think that's where my dad <coughs> heard it, and I think that's why my name is. So it's very interesting to hear that your name is Russian mm-hmm. and you're Peruvian. Yes,
1: that's correct. So the story with that is that. My mom heard this artist in Peru, and her name was Menuzca. Mm-hmm. So she was like, oh, I like that name. I want that for my child. And hence, that was my name instead of my what my dad wanted to do, which is put my last name backwards mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <so laughs> to be you, my first name. How do you pronounce that. So it would be instead of um, Akihe, it would be like Erica or
0: mm. Erica. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I could see that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh... I guess to start out, you know, my first question. um, So you put up a very personal post on Instagram, um, I think, right before the New Year. Now you had talked a lot about adversity, you had talked a lot about overcoming and sharing your story. And also, when well actually first, before we get there, Mm -hmm. I just want to say thank you to uh, Mike uh, Nisbitt for for (laughs) thanking us. And he's been a very important spiritual mentor for us, and I think, you know, as he's been sort of like helping guide me spiritually Mm -hmm. um that certain things seem to come to be right so i think this particular interview came to be Mm -hmm. because you know he sent me an email where you said you know it was your dream to share your story right Mm -hmm. or it's your passion to share your story and on this particular podcast the fastest growing number one longest running podcast in the entire nation Um, For the past three years, you know, I thought this was a perfect opportunity to bring your passion into it. Tell me about why is it so important for you to share your story? Why are you so passionate about it?
1: I'm really passionate about sharing my story because I see um, that it really is, I see the the complete division in the faith community. And I feel like people to such an extent to know that there was a certain pact where a certain prominent um, Christian leader went ahead and asked others, like, hey, and for social justice to be anti-biblical. And I think for me, that inspired me even more to share my story, because I don't believe in that. Mm -hmm. I really believe that you can bridge faith with social justice. I'm a product of it. Without my faith community, I wouldn't be who I am. I really seriously believe that it was them as my village that rose me up to have the the strength, the vulnerability, the courage to actually come out of the shadows. Um, So there is no way for me to have that, I would dare say, that separation or division of faith and social justice, because I do believe that God is integrated in our social justice and social justice in God. Um, But I know many people are shying away from it, and that's where I want to bring my story into, into play, to show light in that.
0: Sure. And, you know, I definitely, I myself have to thank um, the churches of different denom- <clears throat> different denominations that have opened their doors to me to come and present and to also bring other, you know, folks who are DACA recipients to present along with me. And because they're also trying to bridge this gap between faith and social justice and it's a particular part of their curriculum.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so with that, you know, let, let's get started with your personal story. So who is Millie? Who am I meeting here today mm-hmm. in Greenpoint, New York?
1: Well, who am I? I think for me, I am if you put it if you want if I guess knowing me in a personal level, I'm completely a nerd. I'm a bookworm. I, I am always the person you know that we're talking. and I'm like, oh my gosh, but this reminds me of this book. You should read that. Um so I'm definitely that um, also raised my cartoon frenzy. you know, I love anime. Um, I love my family, I'm very family oriented you know and also I love investing in others Um, for that mere reason I still connect with my um, college campus chapter um, in Hunter College which is has been so amazing to see just different generations grow ever since I was a student back in like around um, the early 2000s to now being a senior I was alumni and still communicate with them so I love investing in them and seeing them grow both as people, you know, just humanly speaking, practicality, but then also spiritually being part of that. So that's one thing too, I will always be like, you know, whenever someone's catching up with me, I'll be like, hey, so, you know, how are you doing? Are, have you arrested? You know, are you, besides, you know, definitely doing work, you know, for the community or faith-based, you know, I always try to see like, are they okay? Um. So yes, I guess many people will consider me. Uh, A mentor, a person that, um, a leader too, you know, someone that will initiate. um, That's how my whole um, mentor movement came to play in Hunter InterVarsity, because I saw the need for us having to invest in the next generation when we didn't have at that time um, a person to oversee them, which we call staff for InterVarsity. So
0: so let let me stop you there. Yeah, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. I think, like, what's awesome is that when people start to share their story there they sort of like are asked like to share the story in a particular way right mm-hmm. and so like i like to like really dig deep and pull everything out before sure. we get to that point because i know what you're talking about is very important yeah um so i'm gonna take it back even a little further okay. but before we get there what's your favorite anime
1: oh that is such a hard question i know it's between i would dare say fairy tale okay. and um brotherhood alchemist but not the original version the other
0: you're going to have to send me something. Because yes, like, I will send you. Because for me, oh. I'm a huge, still a huge Pokemon nerd.
1: So. Oh, yay. Okay, cool. So I'll definitely send you something. Okay, great.
0: So let's go back to the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me about Peru. Yes. Talk to me about you know the initial journey to the U.S.
1: Yeah. So my mom, around the 1990s, um, she decided, um, along with my father, that around this time, actually she just recently told me this, there was something... Happening around that time too in Peru, where there was, you know, they were in the community, there was a lot of um, animosity in particular. Um, I forgot the term itself, but something was going on, and they were like, no, you know. And also, my parents, uh, my father, he was a carpenter, um, he had his own shop. My mom, she was a hairstylist, so she was a beautician, and she would do that kind of like her own little personal thing in the house because they were be living with my. Um, and grandma, and I, which is my father's mom. But they decided that they wanted to go ahead and find a better way for their family. Mm-hmm. So my father was the first one to go, you know, definitely going through. Um, he went through ship, um, unfortunately, there, and he recently kind of shared small snippets of the story mm-hmm. of what it was to be part of a cargo ship and being there with like so many other people, I mean, mm-hmm. like eight people, like completely, you know, put in the. Um, what do you call it, in the docks and all of that, and the cargo, um, and be there without food and water and all of that.
0: Now, I will mm-hmm. say, like, I have done this show for three years and I have over 80 episodes and I have never heard about someone traveling on the ship.
1: Yeah, so my dad did. Mm-hmm. He did that, and then, of course, with um, los Coy- coyotes they mm-hmm. their called and stuff like that, um, also paying his way of getting some sort of passport so he can also go to come here. Um, I don't know so much my father's story, but I know my mom's story because mm-hmm. my mom was the one that after a year, my dad came. My dad came here to the United States. He had family here, my aunts and uncles. They lived here in New York. Um, so my mom saw that after a year, you know, keeping in touch with him via like snail mail, you know, I would call it now, um, and also phone calls, and she felt like, you know, if my husband um, isn't with me, um, he's gonna forget me, or he's gonna <laughs> forget our family. So she took the initiative in selling many of the household stuff, um, but also taking a lot of extra hairstyling gigs in order to at least have some sort of amount of money um, to cross the border with a trusted coyote. Um, for myself and for her, I was around that time when she made that decision three years old. So when we actually embarked in that, um, she did tell me that, that pretty much I when we were there crossing the border we did have our passports um, to cross in different countries within the S- Southern America, but then it came from Southern America to the states. Um, that was the hardest one, which was crossing legitly the border, mm-hmm. the Mexican border. She mentioned to me um, that you know definitely they had to completely assimilate the culture. They had to act like they were. First and foremost when they were in Mexico they were Mexican so we had to learn like different terms and things like that now, how
0: old were you at the time I
1: was three three in three mm-hmm. um so when she when they're around the time the coyote told them hey wait here and they were in kind of like um, from the sea to already the the lands are ready to cross is when um, they all panicked because it was me along with other they were like 20 other people um, and I guess in that panic in that frenzy they were caught. Um, they were all caught and they were surrounded of course by the agents there but um, My mom says um, when the agent saw me and I was there because I was three years old um, And I was just there I'm sitting in the in the I guess the stand and stuff like that um, The first thing the agent focused on was me and saying well, We need to get did she eat we need to get her something to eat we need to get water and she knew by the expressions because She didn't know English you know and stuff like that um and their main concern the ancient's main concern was me and and he's like okay you could get the rest water but she goes first because she's a she's a child um and then you know from there and on all of them and he said it he's like you guys all should take the child because of her i'm letting you guys go mm. um and we did and from there we crossed to where the coyote said and somehow me and my mom ended up in california um, and that's where, unfortunately, because my mom didn't get all the full amount, we were held captive for a
3: month
1: um, until um, my father went ahead and borrowed money from a family what friend.
0: What does being held captive look like?
1: So at least to my mom, what she told me is it wasn't um, it wasn't that captivity that was bad in the sense that like we still she still worked around her way of you know like doing what she could with her expertise, which was cutting hair. Um, and getting some sort of money helping out the house cooking so she would help in those errands mm-hmm. with the the house mother If you put it that way in California, but how captive meant that we couldn't move outside of California um, We couldn't Engage anything outside of that house mm-hmm. um, So that was the held captive right? It was basically my father had to pay the ransom right. for us to go and fly from California to New York mm-hmm. um, okay. Yeah, that's what held captive
0: and so once your father paid that, just got on a plane and went to New York.
1: Yes, that's okay. right. That's correct. And I have to say I don't remember much of my childhood, but I do remember that part of like um, being met right side like out of the airport and seeing my father and my aunt and my uncle, um, and embracing them. And but that's all I. I hardly remember any of my childhood. Mm-hmm. There's only like, very small memories I have. The same thing is through, I hardly remember, I don't remember anything, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Okay,
0: and so now, you know, growing up, um, I guess, when, uh, what were some of the um, joys, challenges you faced growing up uh, here in
2: Greenpoint?
1: Yeah, correct? for sure, I think the joy in growing in Greenpoint is that I have the consistency of community here, you know, like here, it's always been very, um, first and foremost, my family also lived here. So as soon as we, you know, we were picked up from the airport, my aunt lived actually a few blocks from here. Um, and from there, you know, one of my aunts and uncles um, took me, my mom, you know, and my father in for at least a bit for for us to get adjusted and get an apartment around the area. Um, and since they were aware of the school system here, they were able to connect us here too. Mm-hmm. So for me, they were, it was both joyful and not. Because it's funny, because when we crossed the border, I turned four. Because um, my my mom, I think the crossing border was from like August to September. My birthday is August 9th. Mm-hmm. So I legitly was like t- turning on nine in in Remember between. And August yeah, August. <laughs> so, Hey, look yeah. at that. Um, so you know. So it was interesting in that way. So when I actually went to school, um, for me to first like assimilate a little bit of the culture, my mom opted out for me not to do pre-K. Um, so I did. They did find a trusted a babysitter, and my mom actually paid a little extra to the son of the older son of the babysitter, because she had an older son, older like a daughter my age, and then a younger son. And so my babysitter's son, his name was Rudy. He actually was kind of like my, I would say, my ESL teacher when I was little. And I remember because sometimes he would give me a lot of like assignments and I would be so upset. I was like, I would tell my mom, like, Rudy's giving me too so much homework, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff. And she, was, and she would tell me, like, Rudy, I know you're trying, but like, you know, take it down a little notch right. and stuff. Um, but I thank God my mom did that without like knowing how much I needed it. Because mm-hmm. when I went to kindergarten, they did find out and saw that, of course, when you fill out a school application, my first language is Spanish. Um, and then, you know, like they saw also in like, me interacting with kids, I needed that extra help. So I did have um, ESL classes in in kindergarten um, till I think maybe the end of kindergarten to maybe till in first grade. Um, but then from there on, I was because I was able to pick it up. So it kind of became not only see, English became kind of like my first language then. Um, so but yeah, it was all thanks to my mom, being very quick-witted, like, oh my gosh, she's going to need this, she's going to need that. And and I'm glad because I was able to really pick up English really quickly. And so, so yeah, so it was really good um, okay. in that way. So I think that my delight in being here is just a consistency of, like, community, family that was mm-hmm. here, too, um, making friends. I had a lot of neighborhood friends who used to live here before gentrification um, hit and the okay. prices went up, too, because I went to... My elementary school is right here, down the block. Mm-hmm. Um, my junior high school is a few blocks down by McCarran Park. Um, but then I was audacious enough and finally was able to convince my parents to let me go to the city for me to do high school, where mm-hmm. I went to Mary Bircham High School.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. Which... And what
0: was that experience like?
1: Mary Bircham High School. It was it was good, but then also it was kind of my first awakenings. Um, so I never knew I was undocumented until I had to fill out my CUNY application
2: mm-hmm.
1: where it accessed you for your social security number. So I'm thinking, you know, like, I knew I was different, but I didn't know what that meant, okay. you know? So I remember asking my mom, like, Ma, so I'm, I'm filling this out for college, what do I put there? And she was like, and there she had to kind of like tell me, Millie, um, you have no social security number. And I think for me, my heart broke because I always knew that I was different, but I didn't know what that meant. And just with that statement, I felt like, dang, I'm not American. What does this mm-hmm. mean? You know, it's not like I didn't know. I knew I wasn't. But it's that awareness, it's like, this is going to be different. And then I would check out of different, like, Ivy League schools I wanted to apply to. And I knew, like, the aspect of financial aid. If you don't have a Social Security number, if you haven't done your income tax, you can get financial aid. So for me, it was very, um, my first time of knowing that I was different, um, but then also knowing that I couldn't aspire more to than just a regular, um, just a small school system. Mm -hmm. And I guess to me, I had to grieve that. I didn't know maybe in that time what that meant, but later on I did in the sense that um, it took me years. I even gave up in one year, 2007, because I graduated in 2004 and I was an early graduate for the mere reason that I was always in advanced placement in honors classes in junior high school um, So for me, I, I Felt like I, I kind of like I have no way better explanation than to say I kind of died a little bit mm-hmm. in 2007 where I saw I was working in order to go ahead and supply all my classes all my books also food and travel and all of that, and also try to help my family, whatever that meant, but I was getting nowhere in a sense that I felt like I had some more and more classes to do. So I remember it was a year I gave up because I was like, what's the use of actually having a bachelor's degree mm-hmm. if I'm never gonna be able to actually have a good well-paid job if I don't have a social security number? Mm-hmm. you know?" So I remember that was the year that I was like, you know what, uh, I'm not in. And it was very heartbreaking for my parents to hear for my family to see because I was always the out of my family um, me and my younger sister are, are the ones that always have had great academics so for them to see me just give up I felt like in a way they also kind of were mourning that like but they let me have that space which I'm very thankful for because I did need to have that space of like thinking through if even if I do this um, should I do this just because you know it just Trusting beyond and actually literally having faith of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen in that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, you know, just going, paying it forward of, like, doing it with blind faith. Something's going to open up.
0: Well, your your choice of words, you know, Mm -hmm. you felt like you died, right? Yeah. Can you talk to me uh, about your mental health uh, during that time?
1: Yeah, I feel like I... That was a very tough time for me, um, around 2006, 2007, um, for the mere reason that I knew I couldn't um, actually have any, in a sense, I felt like I couldn't have any resources around that time, around the time Mm -hmm. I was in a community, which means that I actually was helping out as well church-wise, church plants um, from scratch, which means that we didn't have any sort of organizations helping us every was like alone um so I felt like I was also suffocating with too much responsibility in church um and and apart from that certain things happened that church plan too, where the leader failed so it was like so many things um happened at once for me to just say I'm done um so I think mental health wise I wasn't that great but of course I wouldn't go ahead and go to any practitioner I would have no health insurance you know cuz i understand and one my major was psychology so i understood mental health um, problems when i would you know kind of orient myself in like oh crap i feel like I, I feel depressed i feel like i'm in depression um but you know like it's it was hard to kind of engage in that space and i think i'm very thankful that in these years is when i still connected with a friend i made in InterVarsity, actually um from hunter and her, along with other people that honestly divinely appointed people were able to just hear me and and be that presence of just I would say kind of you know not to say I'm completely for mental health completely mm-hmm. um, but kind of being that presence of kind of being that counselor of like just hearing me and just asking me questions and allowing me that space to grieve and vent um, even though maybe they didn't have certified, you know, you know, I guess like a, a mental health counselor for perhaps, um, but if I had, of course, the means in a way I definitely would have went to counseling, absolutely, because I needed it. Sure. hmm
0: Okay. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, this, this is the point of the conversation where like faith is beginning to come up. So I want to ask you, you know, what, what were the origins of that? Was that something you always grew up with? Um, and how did it develop?
1: I grew up with I grew up with a Catholic background, um, so in a Catholic, more traditional background, where my parents were born into it. So you know, we knew about the sacraments. We knew, you know, I, I knew at a certain age I had to do my communion. Um, but I felt it was more of a tradition and a routine than actually it being more relational, more mm-hmm.
0: personal. So you didn't have a personal. No, it was just Okay.
1: When I was little, no. Mm-hmm. I think for me, what hit home was um, around. I think. I was 13 going on 14 um july 1st 2001 and i remember it because i always i've always been a person that i like to be testing like i like to um i'm always a i don't know how to explain it to you but i always a person that i'm very rational when it comes to practicality especially faith aspects in the beginning um so when i was young i went through a lot of circumstances where Unfortunately, having also my parents being undocumented. Mm. Um, around this time, when my grandma from my mom's side passed away. But then around this time too, um, one of my cousins from my dad's side passed away. Um, and I couldn't express fully, I wasn't grieving because my friends saw me and I was really sad and depressed. Um, but I would only be able to tell them that, but I couldn't tell them I was also grieving that I couldn't be there. I couldn't be there for my grandma. Mm. You know i only knew via phone and through pictures you know but yet i saw the sorrow and the grief of um, my mom you know honestly from there my mom completely lost all sense of i would say of just direction she really lost her senses um you know so she was also going to the point of anxiety with these problems um we also had another problem around this time with my father and something going wrong with his job and him being investigated and of course, you know, as any um, person who's undocumented, any investigation, we take it to another level. So, so that was also chaotic. So I honestly, I, I became very, very depressed and I was suicidal. I attempted to commit suicide because I was like, you know, I don't think there's a God out there. And if there is, he's gonna have to show me, you know? Um, and I remember like taking a, a bucket load of Tylenol pills um, here actually, legitimately by my living room window You know, and looking up and just saying, how dare you do this to my family? Mm -hmm. You know, um, trust me, I was clearly very defiant. Um, And I did that. Of course, the next day I woke up with a huge headache um, because of the overdose of pills. Um, But God had mercy on me. I was alive. But I had no idea why I was alive. Um, Because around this time, I wasn't eating. I was cutting school. I, until they called my sister. um, Because the thing is that, around this time too, with the whole investigation, my father, um, my mom was with my father, so she wasn't here, she was with my aunt in my aunt's house, so it was like a whole mess with my family, um, so my mom, my older, because I'm one out of four, so my older siblings, my older sister, and my older brother went ahead and decided, hey, you know, it would be good for mom and my younger sister, around this time was five years old, um, for them to have like, a vacation or some time away from everything that's happening here um, so they contacted a great family friend of ours um, that also was Peruvian they used to be our neighbors and they lived in Florida um, and told her about the situation she was like, absolutely I'll take, take them in they can all come mm-hmm. you know so there is where my mom went to uh, a Christian uh, Spanish Pentecostal church mm-hmm. um, and there's where she gave her heart to to God fully in the sense of knowing who God was, not as a tradition or a religion, mm-hmm. but more personal. So we all knew the state my mom was in because she had no sense of direction or anything. Um, we definitely, I would dare say as siblings, we, we had that understanding. So when my, I remember calling my mom before going there with my father, because that was the arrangement we had with my older siblings, um, going to Florida. And she she sounded chipper. She sounded great. And I'm like, Mom, what happened to you? Like, mm-hmm. why do you sound so different? You know, she sounds so encouraging, like her old self. And I'm like, and um, then she's like, Oh, so let me tell you, I really, I can't wait for you to come. And I'm like, Great, nor can I, because I miss you, you know, because I've never been separated from my parents, too. So it was like a whole thing for me. Um, she's like, Yeah, but I can't wait for you to come, because I want you to also come and, um, and visit. I'm like, what well, do you mean, visit where? You know, so I'm like being like completely skeptical. And she told me, yeah, I went to this church um, and it was so good. And I'm learning about God. And, then, and for me, I was like, church, God, oh, heck no. Right. Like, not my mom, you know. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, mom, did they ask you for money? What do they want from mm-hmm. you? That was the first thing I talked to her. And she laughed. She's like, no, Millie, you're going to see it's something different. It's completely different than what we've experienced. And I was like, okay, I'm going to see about that. Um, so I was very testy, and I'll never forget, like, getting ready the night before. I've always had an understanding with God around this time that you could just talk to God directly. You know, they didn't need to go through a priest or anything like it. So I had my own little prayer, if you put it that way. And where I was like, you know what, God, I only know if you're real if you go ahead and you tell me everything I've gone through. Only then will I know that I have a purpose or that you really exist. Because clearly with everything that's going on, I don't think you do. Oh, and by the way, I was like, I don't want it to be the priest that tells me that. I want it to be somebody else. Mm. Because I know my mom is probably going to, probably told everything to that priest. And he's going to cater the whole message just for me. (laughs) So this is, this is me just testing him the night before. So I got ready, whatever. And yeah, and I went to the church. They were so friendly. They were like huggy and loving. And I'm not used to that. Mm. I'm always used to just going to church and sitting down and waiting for you know the mass to start and so i was really thrown about for the really loving nature culture um, but of course i was respectful saying hi and everything um then i remember the now that i know the worship started and i remember you know like certain women there they were like crying and everything. so for me it was a different experience i'm like what? why is she crying why does no one helping her what is going on um but i saw something different in these people and I saw they had joy they had love they had hope and something in me was like they look crazy but I don't know what they have I want to know what that is so I remember you know the pastor came forward about to do the sermon and he was like um he was telling his congregation was like well you know congregation it's that time and I was like cheering him on he's like but I'm sorry you're not gonna hear from this handsome face um, and that we all started laughing. He's like, yeah, we have a visitor today. We have a missionary that came from Colombia. So he's going to give us the word. And I'm freaked out because I was like, I've never seen this in my life. The pastor, like the main priest is not giving the speech. What is going on? So from there, already, I was already like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So the missionary came in and he started speaking about a certain um, verse that talks about Pretty much, the whole context of it is coming to God with all your burdens. Cast your burdens on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. And so He's talking about this—the the beauty, and the hope you have in just giving everything to God—that He really is there. And I'm in complete denial that God is really talking to me because I'm like, no, you're like, it, it everything seems nice and peachy, but no, that's not that's not it. Because I've got something specific, so that's what I expect, you know. So tell me how, before he actually goes ahead and finishes the message, he's like, I, I will never forget the words he said. He's like, I, am, I feel from the Spirit to say this. I just want to tell you that God is speaking to someone right here, someone who has gone through depression, who has attempted to commit suicide, whose friends have left her, completely backstabbed her, who lost this person in their life. I want to tell you right now, you tested God, you told him, do I have a purpose? Yes, we do. I'm calling you right now. And God exists and he's here. I was bawling crying. I have no idea how I floated to that altar. I have mm-hmm. no idea till this day. Okay. But mm-hmm. I knew that was for me because mm-hmm. it was so specific. No one else knew about those situations that I had mm-hmm. gone through. I never shared that with any of my friends or my family. Completely not my family. Mm-hmm. but But God knew. You know, so from there on, I remember making the prayer of faith um, with the pastor's wife and also having a moment and feeling everything uplifted from me. Um, and they are making that kind of declaration of saying, you know what? It's the same way, God, you you came to me as an outcast because that's how I felt. I want to do the same thing you did for me for others. I want to be that light, but use my life story to do that. Um... Little did I know that he legitly was gonna do that. Mm-hmm. I've sometimes I've suffered certain circumstances, not even based on, you know, being undocumented, just life seasons mm-hmm. which I have no explanation for until later in life I come across another person, they're like, Yeah, I'm going through this, um, a certain breakup, or certain thing with church, you know, things are not right, blah 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 and I'm like, Oh I know <laughs> you know, so I'm like I kinda understand what um I'm Sometimes have certain circumstances happen to me. Of course, I grow from it as a human being, but then I also know it's because of those that in itself, in its time, I will be connected to, that I can help, my story can help, you know, facilitating hope or just giving, um, I would say, strength and just courage in whatever circumstance they are going through. And I'm okay with that now. In the beginning, I (laughs) wasn't, because it's hard sometimes to go through a series of unfortunate events without explanation. Um, But everything is redeemable. Everything happens for a reason. It's one thing I'm discovering over and over again.
0: Well, I think um, one thing as I'm hearing you speak is the similarities of, I think I used to speak to God in the same way, Mm -hmm. sort of like a bargaining sort of thing, sort of like a Santa Claus sort of figure. Yeah. (laughs) definitely understand the struggle with suicidal thoughts you know, as, as well, um, that's something I speak about in the film that I made mm-hmm. and then also going to church I think for me like I really enjoy like for example um, Pastor Mike Todd or Pastor um, Steve
2: mm-hmm.
0: Um, but when I go there mm-hmm. like I really enjoy the production, I enjoy the message. I think. The hugging part of it, the mm-hmm. like interaction, the like yeah. crying part of it, I kind of like stay away from. Cause, like, <laughs> you know, I'm a little resistant to that, you know, um, but it's something I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely a lot of what you're saying I, I can relate to in, in my own life. Um, so take, take me into your college years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I saw on your website that um, CSNY, I believe it is.
1: Yes, yeah, so that's where I used to work.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. but, um, or inter-varsity. inter varsity, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, so tell me about your origins with working with that group and, like, how, you know, that helped mold you for the future.
1: No, definitely. I, so I stumbled upon inter One of my college friends went for my, so they have, like, kind of, like, a cohort group when you're a freshman in Hunter College. So I was part of that, and one of my friends actually got really involved in inter she was all the time inviting me. You should come, you should come. But she would always invite me for like a leadership point. And I was like, nope. Around this time I was like in a church plant and just um, to take, you know, just to highlight a little bit what church plant means in a sense of like, you know, going ahead and establishing a church in a place you feel a need to and sometimes it's under resourced. So that means a person has more than one role. So for me I was um, singing for the worship team leading the youth, preaching, <laughs> translating, because it was bilingual, Spanish, and English, serving on the elder board. So pretty much, I was burnt out. I was like, no. So my friend coming to tell me about InterVarsity and said, you should come to the leadership meeting. I was like, oh, heck no, because I'm like, I'm doing too much. I don't want to do this already in college. I want to go to school and go out. around what year was
0: this?
1: so this was around she told me about it around like I have to say in the early 2000s so she told me about Mm -hmm. it like around 2006, 2007 so this is around the time too I'm like heading out Um, but I remember after me kind of like crashing with my dream and just finding solace and saying you know what if I do my education I'm going to leave it in God's hands if there's an open way so be it and if there's not so be it I'll still end up with a bachelors um, is where I also I got connected again with InterVarsity and I started attending actually a small Bible study which they called La Fe um, which was A for Latinos so it was only Latinos there and it was really cool um, because like we were just interacting with scripture but I saw other young adults outside of my own church context like me and they were my peers which means I don't have to go ahead and stop and drop of like, oh, I need to advise them, I need to counsel them. So it was nice to just be. Um, so one of them, one of the leaders there, I think her name was Melina. She told me, hey, so guess what? We have a retreat we ever so often call Big Event, and it's a weekend retreat. You know, don't let money be an issue and stuff. Um, if you're interested, just come. And I was like. In my mind, I was like, I have so many responsibilities. I don't know the odds of this. So I consulted. I would say the one that I believe at times is more the head of the household, which is my mom, spiritually. And I told my mom, I was like, Mom, so I met these college students. They believe in God, and they're having a retreat, which is like a getaway for the weekend. What do you think? Should I go? Oddly enough, my Latina Peruvian mom Mm -hmm. was like, I think you should go. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? (laughs) <laughs> you know, because she was very protective over me, right. especially with my situation and everything. She's like, I think you should go. It's I think it's good for you to make other friends and who are Christian and, and who are not, you know, like, because we have a small church. She's like, you need to make friends. I think you should go. I was like, okay. And I was like, and she's like, how much is it, though? And I told her, well, they actually offered me a scholarship. And they did. They offered mm-hmm. me a full scholarship. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. You know, she was like, just go. Don't worry about it. We'll handle it. Mm-hmm. Which meant for like church-wise and stuff. Um, so I remember going back to the leader, and telling her, um, "I'm gonna go." She's like, "That's so amazing, you know." So without doubt, she went ahead um, to the one of the buildings. I remember that had has the computers. So I think it was the third floor, um, and she made sure that I went ahead and registered after I said mm-hmm. yes. So that's one of the culture for our They're very intentional and for building up leaders and and she put me in the leadership track. And in my mind I was like, no, I don't want to know about leadership, because I already know enough, you know, in the sense of like I've always leading in church and stuff. But she's like, I believe you you need to know. Just just take it and see what happens. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll trust you. So I went and I remember I had this small petition with God. I was like, God, I don't know no one. All I know is the leader. I know some of the people from my group, but none of them are going. I'm <laughs> the only one going. I at least want to know one person there. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Um, so in the leadership track, as they call it, um, in they had smaller groups, and there was a leader there. So I saw the smaller groups roster, and one of the names were Jasmine Forquette. And to me, I, I jumped with joy because she was a good friend of mine from my very first church here in Greenpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, but I was just being a doubting Thomas in a sense. I was like, let's see, I, it may be, but I'm like, the odds of someone having the same name are very slim though. So let's see. But then when I saw her coming to my smoker, we both saw each other. We haven't seen each other in years. We're like, Oh my God, you're here. I'm like, Oh my God, you're here. So forget it. Like from there now we we're going like to catching up. Right. And I told her, I was like, so tell me about diversity. Is this like a legit organization? I just came here blind and she started laughing. Like, no, it is. Um, and I didn't know that she was the the chapter president for, um, what was it, for St. John's University. So she started telling me about intervarsity. And okay. of course, and there I learned, you know, the importance of their mission of um, pretty much helping, in a way, college campus have a spiritual atmosphere. And their vision is to transform lives, um, you know, renew the campus, and develop world changers. Mm-hmm. And for them, it's definitely engaging spirituality. And having, you know, students have that space, you know, whether it is they accept, you know, Christianity, but always having that space and solace of like, at times talking about their faith and classes and their debates with that. Because sometimes I've come across many students now um, have that wrestling of like, hey, I'm learning these things from my philosophy professor religion classes. How do I bridge this with my faith? Right. And us having those talks so like, yeah, sometimes we do need concrete evidence about, like, you know, hey, is the Bible legit? In a sense, like, is there any historical documents to back back away, you, like, actually back it up, you know, and stuff like that. That's so
0: interesting, because I, I just was asking a question like that a few weeks ago. Really? So.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. So I feel like there's a really good, <laughs> here we are, there's a really good, um, actually, story in a really good book called The Keys for Christ by Lee Strobel. Mm-hmm. And I gravitated towards this book when I was younger, actually, through a really good friend of mine in, um, in high school um, named Gabby. Um, she taught me about the book because he actually was an atheist writer for, the, I think, the Tribune in Chicago. Um, and he wanted to discredit Christianity. So he was like, the best way I can discredit Christianity is going ahead and finding evidence against Christ, against Jesus, that he ever existed. You know, and the reason he was so, like, I would say passionate in this conquest is because around this time, his wife started going to church, and they would have that, and she would see his difference of, like, her going to church and him not in the sense that they would have struggles and fights about faith aspects, because he was a complete atheist. He didn't believe in anything. So he was like, you know what? If I can describe who Jesus is, you know me and my wife would be better, you know, stuff like that. She doesn't have to go to church anymore and things like that. But crazy enough, his passionate conquest made him see, and he went to the top investigators um, historically, even scientifically, um, to know about, you know, Christ's resurrection. And he discovered that, indeed, there was a Jesus Christ here on earth, and historically is, historically is present. In many moments, you know, in many writings, um, one of them for sure is like the writer Tertullian, Josephus. You know, who are people who are not even I would dare say um, in some sort of Christian traditions. You know, there were writers that talked about what happened at the times. You know, um, so it's really interesting, you know, like engaging in these type of conversations yeah. at times with students because it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know about that. I'm like, that's cool. You know, and it helps I think to know for ourselves. That's why I really enjoy having that personal, at times one-on-one conversations with students, Um, because like you really need to search faith and spirituality, um, and make it personal, not for it to be handed down from generation. Exactly, exactly. You know, and not to say I completely respect my parents, Mm -hmm. completely respect generation. But I do believe that it's different when we make it personal, when Mm -hmm. we make it our own and we discover ourselves like, oh my gosh, I think this is for me, you know, and discovering there's certain aspects that our parents taught us that are for us and certain things that it's a newer generation and will not be for us. And I think that's always been kind of the sifting process. Mm -hmm. I've been, I would say, kind of partnering with God in helping college students Mm -hmm. investigate. And and I like doing it because I'm the same way. I'm always asking questions to God, and I don't believe it's disrespectful. I believe it's really searching for truth all the time. But then also knowing once I do get the evidence, you know, appreciating it, but passing forward that um that knowledge, you know. And but yeah, it's it's been a great journey. Yeah,
0: and so so this was um, around 2006,
1: 2007, right? Yes. So so yeah. So when I started becoming really really involved. I remember it was more like around 2009 forward so, so mm-hmm. tell me
0: tell me about what are you seeing immigration-wise like throughout mm-hmm. the nation during that time because
1: yeah. daca
0: was 2012 right yes that's correct 2012. so mm-hmm. so but talk to me mm-hmm. so this is pre-daca this is pre you know um college campuses having their undocumented shout out to the diamond student alliance at westbury um mm-hmm. but you know like i've interacted with a lot of these groups throughout yeah. the nation um which really grew out of you know mm-hmm. DACA because people felt that they could step forward. Talk to me about yeah. immigration. We were seeing pre-DACA, pre-DACA during that time.
1: I think it wasn't it wasn't as scary um, in the sense that yeah you could still be undocumented you could still work you know mm-hmm. off the books try to pay off your school and stuff like that. But I think depending at least one thing I discovered in those times depending on your own family culture and also your own friend's support system, it was up to you whether or not you wanted to come out of the shadows. Mm -hmm. So around these years too, I had to confront myself with the decision of, should I or should I not come out of the shadows? And the reason is, personally, I went through a lot of um, struggle with my own identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the mere reason that I felt like because I did not have my documents, I didn't want to put that burden on anyone, especially in a personal relationship, in a relationship aspiring to marriage. Um, And I'll never forget the words and the encouragement of my mentor in that time, Patricia, um, because she was an amazing um, bridge to help me see the love for different cultures, to be a learner, but also such a safe um, person that I can go ahead and trust her with everything. So there was a conference um, that was named Urbano, I remember, which is a missions conference and also a leadership preparation conference for you to explore what does it look like to be a missionary, but in a sense of using your vocation to be a light for God, but then also, um, you know, being a light in your community or overseas. But in this conference it was not in New York, it was in St. Louis, Missouri. Around um, this time, I didn't have my documents. Um, And I had to, because Patricia told us about this like early in 2012, I had to trust her. And I saw that she trusted, my family trusted her too, because she always broke bread with us here and there. She enjoyed like different cultures, um, which is so awesome because she, if you see her, she's completely a bubbly um, southern um, Mississippi lady with a New Yorker heart completely. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so. For me, she was family, so I could trust her with us. So I remember telling her, like, honestly, I have two things. I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna get there, and I told her my story. and I was like, I'm undocumented, and then the other was like, um, I don't know how financially I'm gonna get there either, because hmm. it was it was a huge cost. You know, it was um, the cost I had to take of the bus, but then also the cost of like the hotel, and then you know the cost of the conference. It was like a lot. Um, but I remember she prayed with me and she she thanked me so much for, for entrusting her with my story and she told me there that another friend of mine was also undocumented. And she told me in confidence who it was and I grieved because in my mind I was like if only I would have said it too earlier we would have also been able to have those discussions but we never did. Hmm. But I understood my other friend for not having said it. Um, but I have to say, it was, I think it was a season of, there was more safety, depending on your own community, on who to trust with your story, but it still was a risk because you wouldn't be able to travel. So for me, I thankfully, I, I got sponsored and I was able to go, my parents said okay too, for me to even travel away from New York, um, trusting definitely in confidence a lot on um, Patricia and her word, and And like I said, she was like family to us. Um, But I have to say like, I don't think not everyone had that at times um, safety. And I know that because um, then after that, after the years with that, I remember another, a few other students came as well saying that they were undocumented and they didn't know how to bridge at times their faith or even their own identity with it. And I'm thankful that I came out that year not only with Patricia, but then also with my leadership team I was part of in mm-hmm. InterVarsity, um, because I saw how that was a healing factor for them, too, in a sense, like, wow, we know your story, um, and we thank you so much. And and they encouraged me a lot in, for me to be courageous and not thinking of myself anything less, because that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. I felt like always less than because I didn't have my documents. And also helping me bridge my faith and knowing that you know, God loves me beyond if I'm undocumented or not. He loves the foreigner. He loves us all. Um, that's not, uh, a ne- like, God doesn't negate his love based on, you know, your origin at all, you know. And it was awesome to see that tangibly with my friends and mm-hmm. my interruption community completely. And then being aware, of course, of, like, the injustice in that time would be, you know, us as, um, now they call us, you know, as the, us as the dreamers the you know, basically our parents bringing us here with the American dream of us having a better life. Um, at least I would say in that time, it was more of a safe haven um, to tell your community and just kind of, you know, work that away, but also believing in hope mm-hmm. that a door will open. Um, so it's interesting. I'm glad I, you know, for all of them, I'm glad for Intervarsity completely because mm-hmm. they're definitely uh, a faith and social justice, like, Beacon and spokesperson. Um, I remember after that, like they definitely did do a lot of, um, um, I would dare say, social justice awareness. Like I remember we did a campaign of the price of life about like human trafficking, putting that awareness out. Um, we also have another branch in InterVarsity called New York City Urban Project, which talks about all the issues in communities where we're able to also, you know, I would say help a homeless person. But not just in a sense of like, oh, here, just whatever, no. But I actually, see them, at their humanity, and break bread with them,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And and yeah, and many, especially the director for that, which is a great friend of mine, Jonathan Walton, um, did mention at times too in certain talks he would have, or and also since I know him too, you know, God's heart for immigration or immigrants, you know. And it was awesome to hear that from leaders, because honestly speaking, before Washington I never heard that never in any church that i ever hear god's love for immigrants or you know god grieving with those who are oppressed um or who are going through certain circumstances which aren't explainable because of certain injustices happening mm-hmm. right now you know but i'm happy i'm so glad i did you know come across into varsity and till right. this day I, I still serve for them as an alumni and still just helping in whenever they need volunteers or something like that or support whatever events, if I'm, if I'm available, I'm always there. Sure.
0: Mm-hmm. No, no, that's, a, that's, that's an amazing part of the story. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing that. No problem. Um, what did you graduate with uh, when you...
1: For my undergrad, yeah. I graduated with... Um, uh, I was a double major mm-hmm. for psychology and religion.
0: Okay. Yeah. And then did you go to grad school? Yes. That?
1: I went to Naya College, um, so I graduated with my seminary degree mm-hmm. from Alliance Theological Seminary. Um, for a master's of professional studies in urban ministry.
0: So t- tell me about that. that, that yes. sounds like a, so so I have a master's in public administration. Okay, cool. And I still don't know what public administration is. <laughs> so so tell me about yours. <laughs>
1: no, that's totally fine. I think the best way I can talk about it is just saying, you know, it's it was a process to to prepare um, ministers of the city. That's what urban is. You know, urban urbanity is actually the city. And ministry basically is like how do you serve others? But I loved about this degree though it's just the realness of all the professors. Like Mm -hmm. a big shout out to all of ATS honestly because they were completely real in in getting I would dare say in your face and saying there's people hurting outside of the churches and we need to address their hurt. We can't be saying oh I'm gonna pray for you and not actually give them resources and help them. If we say we love our neighbor, then what are we doing for our neighbor? Mm-hmm. And I love that, because I was like, oh my gosh, that's like, it's a mercy approach. But now in like seminary, um, and like I said, it wasn't, um, for me, I wasn't so accustomed in hearing it at times in church. So it was awesome to hear from a professional, a, you know, a professor that was also a minister, but then also was teaching, you know, what they've learned in, in their life experience. Um, so for me, urban ministry is the concept of, definitely seeing that when you look into the bible too you know when jesus is there like for example you know since we just celebrated um you know jesus birthday we put it that way you know jesus wasn't just there in in um definitely like in galilee or nazareth you know and this was only just like dancing in the prairie kind of thing because i feel like everyone has that understanding of like Kind of Jesus, like, there, panting around in, like, open fields. No, <laughs> he really wasn't. He really wasn't. He was very, in certain prominent cities, you know, back, in, you know, like, in those times. He was. So what does that mean is that when he had to, like, for example, when his parents, when Joseph had the the vision and then also had um, a certain call from an angel to say, you need to flee to Egypt, they flee to Egypt, you know, in a sense that they had to go to another prominent um, country and also city place, you know, Jerusalem for example, too, it's a whole city, it's not a prancing little thing, no, it. so it's like we need to know that because we need to know how God has a, also a heart. For globalization which is what mm. happens right now here in New York That's
0: interesting
1: which is you know we are so honestly we are so blessed that here we can I can go out here in the street and have like five different cuisines I can choose between Japanese um you know Thai Italian Spanish mm-hmm. you name it and that is globalization where you know where actually other people from different countries are actually at a crossing distance from us
0: You just made my mouth water. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't worry, we can go after this okay. for sure. Um, so, so I think urban ministry taught me that you know, like the approach of engaging, being very intentional with my city, learning mm-hmm. about my city, loving my city, um, that is so e- embracing the mm-hmm. issues that's happening, and knowing like, hey, if I don't have the resources, I you know I have to make it my duty of getting that resources. You because, know, yes, I know church, you know, can only help so much, but guess what? We're also called a hospital, which means that, you know, like a hospital, and you know this, for insurances, we have referrals. The same thing I believe the church should do, which is, hey, if a person we see is going through mental health issues, we need to refer them to a mental health counselor, mm, okay. you know, and things like that. Or a person's going through, like, immigration issues, we need to connect them to a free immigration clinic, and so on and so forth. You know, so I learned that, um, and I'm really happy to have learned those tools and resources practically, but then also spiritually. How do you prepare a person spiritually to engage with that? How do you prepare other leaders? Mm-hmm. And that's where I came across a really awesome concept, which came to now, me, led me to actually be in the Congregational men, which is the concept of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, mm-hmm. which talks about your spirituality is connected to your emotions. Um, we cannot shun both, and that's really important because I believe we have not been talking about that, and I believe that too for me culturally. Um, you know, when it comes to like issues of like sadness or anger, um, sometimes we're taught to go ahead and repress. You know, no, don't do that because you're gonna be a burden to that person. Or like for example, I know this, and you know this too for Latino culture. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, men don't yeah. cry. You know, things like that. You know, it's oh, like yeah. repressing. Um, but that's not what God really wants. You know, there's a whole book of Psalms that talks about grief, that talks about, you know, David at times saying, I want to die, you know, or mm-hmm. do something with my enemies, like kill them. You know, he he yeah. is so expressive. There's a whole book of lamentations, of grief, of like things that are going to happen to the Israelites. Um, I, what, think,
0: I think back to that question that I was asking, I think that yeah. was a question I was like, did King David really exist? That is what I was asking. Yeah, but yeah. But like, yeah, go ahead. No,
1: no, sure. You know, so yeah, so like, Aspects of that, you know, so it's been really, urban ministry is all of that, is knowing yourself um, in a sense of as a minister, but then also knowing your frailties and knowing that your limits are amazing boundaries. Because mm-hmm. I feel like um, in general, any urban leader, whether it's a uh, spiritual leader or not, um, because we are in the city that never sleeps, mm-hmm. in the hustle and bustle, um, we don't know what it is at times to have limits because we feel like we're, like, all of us have been called Avengers, which we're not, you know? Which is okay, because, like, there's other people equipped for other things, and it's okay. The work will get done, you know? We need to practice better self-care, be very present with our families when we are there, you know? Um, And I learned that through the experience of having my seminary degree, where they were very intentional in a certain class called um, Initiation to Spiritual Formation, where they went ahead, and, and many of my classes, I would say, maybe two or three, if I'm mistaken, I had to um, take evidence of having counseling sessions with professionals.
2: Because mm-hmm.
1: they know, of course, as you know, as ministers, we get a lot of transference. We, we get a lot of, um, from other people we help, sometimes other things trigger us, and we need to know that. Because, you know, for example, if, you know, just putting an example out there, If I have a young adult coming to me and is talking about, you know, being maybe undocumented and talking to me about, you know, that hurt and struggle, and all of a sudden, you know, their parents are going to get deported, I know for me that's the trigger, Mm
2: -hmm. you
1: know, where I know I can tell them, hey, I'm just going to let you know, I understand this hurt, I agree with you and everything, um, and I'm going to cry with you because it's, I understand that hurt. But it's a trigger for me in a sense that I have to be aware and I have to let him know, too. Like, hey, just in case, this this I relate to you completely. Um, so I may be a little out of character when I say certain things, but bear with me. Um, it's good to know that um, for the mere reason that we also show our humanity. You know, for me, that's one thing I completely embrace with the young adults I come across a lot. I tell them, hey, I'm just here. I'm just your big sister. You know, I'm still learning in life, and, and I know I'm human. I'm going to have reactions, um, you know, and, and please call me out, you know, if whenever I do, and you know, I tell you something that's out of character. Come back to me and be like, hey, Millie, that kind of hurt, but you were kind of rough with that one, you know. I'm okay with engaging in those conversations, but why? Because I know I'm aware of myself, and I'm aware, I'm aware, and I'm okay with my human frailty with that, you know. And But it took me time to be there because in the beginning, like, I have to say, um, I've always been kind of the helper for everyone um, or as some people call it the Messiah syndrome, which is like you want to go ahead and be the savior for everyone, right. but you also need help in a sense that you need also a place and space to kind of take um, for yourself, to know at least for me, I'm single right now like to, uh, to know my singleness is a gift I offer to the world in the sense that I need to still care for myself, not completely keep myself busy so that I could be nowhere that I'm single. you know what I mean? It's kind of like that. Or for churches to kind of take that advantage, too, and be like, oh, she's single, she could do everything, you know, not really, you know, so I'm really thankful for emotionally healthy spirituality, because that's exactly what it taught me. It's okay for me to embrace, you know, my anger, my sadness, my happiness, you know, Um, and knowing that these are also aspects of God helping me see, like, hey, there's some things underneath that, let's discover this, and not shunning, and not... Not you know, like going, like saying like, oh my gosh, I, you know, sadness. I'm gonna pause you right there. i Not actually engaging with it and saying like, why am I sad? Is there something that this reminds me of? And usually it's always about our family of origin. That's something I've discovered a lot. Um, and I'm learning that. You know, I'm learning that as a, uh, as you know, being undocumented, um, being a Latina, being single, um, being a leader, being kind of like a spiritual mother, if you put it that way um and i have to say it's it's a great journey just learning more aspects of myself and um knowing that i'm still a person that's in under construction completely i uh, haven't been haven't haven't met, met the un goal. but i'm okay with that because um i love learning I'm just learning sure
0: no and um I think in this conversation, like, I'm just getting, like, engrossed in what you're
1: saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine.
0: But, um, no, I mean, so, so, like, so, yeah, there's just so many questions, but, um, I think, I think the direction that I would like to, uh, go in is, so you, you talk about, um, emotional health and spirituality right. being tied. How does that tie to, I guess, the announcement of DACA? Mm and what was happening politically at the time in 2012.
1: Yeah. I think that was such one of the greatest joys for me, I think the greatest victories, um, that as soon as I heard the announcement, I think it was 2012, 2013. Yeah, um, yeah, actually I heard the announcement, I think it was around 2013. Um, I cried because that was the year that I graduated from Hunter. I cried because I felt like I was going to be hopeless, and then there was hope, you know, because with DACA, um, I met completely all the requirements for being a DACA recipient. Um, and I'm like, wow, so this means I'm going to have an opportunity to work in my field or, you know, or a higher paid job with benefits, you know, and have an ID. I didn't even know that having an ID, you could travel, you know, in the United States or have a bank <coughs> account. You know, so I was like, oh, I can adult better, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Because I always felt like I was always behind from my like peers, and, and I, I felt so frustrated with that. So I was like, yeah, I can finally do that. So for me, it was complete victory and joy. Many of my friends, too, they were like, oh, my gosh, this happened. I, I thought about you. And we celebrated for sure. My family as well, you know, engaging in that space and, you know, seeing, like, wow, this happened and... And they were, we cried. I remember we really did cry because we were like, finally, there's something that can help us. Even though perhaps it doesn't directly help my parents, but them taking joy and seeing like, you know what? The struggle is all worthwhile. We've been here, you know, since, what is it, 91? It's going to be what, like 27 years or so? It's all worth it. Um, So I think... For me, that was a great joy, and also for me, awareness of kind of saying, you know what? God, you knew. And it's mm-hmm. also not only for me, but for so many others to know that so many others applied. Um, I take joy in that because that also made me feel comfort. And like, to me, I don't see it as a number, I see it like other people in other communities that were also hurting and suffering that also were able to come out the shadows. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's always been the uncertainty. is like, what does it mean to actually go ahead and share my story with others or even tell the government I'm completely undocumented, mm-hmm. you know, and I want to apply to this. Um, but it was awesome, you know, that Obama did that executive order mm-hmm. for all of us.
0: And from that point on, um, was that where you went into your career in higher ed?
1: Yes. Um, I did not plan on being in higher ed, mm-hmm. funny, funny enough. Um, what did
0: you switch from all what did you? Yes,
1: so I actually always had in mind, um, and I guess I'll talk about that too. I always had in mind to be a psychologist, mm-hmm. um, but um, when I started, like, I guess, learning about higher ed for psychology, um, mm-hmm. I unfortunately came across the, the rule that in order for you to be licensed in New York State, you have to be a resident, um, mm-hmm. you have to be a citizen, you have to have that documentation. Um, but even with that, and unfortunately too, my other, like I guess Dobie Downer if you put it that way, my GPA wasn't that great because I was always in and out at times um, for my undergrad. Um, I remember applying to a, a school and not getting accepted, one for my GPA which I completely accepted, in the other because they didn't want to give me false hope um, for a mere reason that in that time, There was no, um, there was that rule, which is in order for you to have your, you know, your license to be a psychologist, um, you had to be a legal resident. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, even though I had DACA. So for me, I guess I had to kind of grieve that as well, um, knowing that I couldn't do what I wanted to do. And I wrestled a lot with my faith, because I I felt like it was like God kind of slamming the door on me. but then I was able to kind of engage in something different, which is why I came across um, doing my master's and, and learning more, I would say, concretely certain origins of the faith, Christian history, and what I just, you know, definitely discussed about urban ministry. Um, but it hurt, I have to say it hurt. But work-wise, I've always um, definitely tried to have like you know, contacts here and there. I've always been very friendly. Um, so one of my friends actually, I remember at a time that I was trying to like get a different job and stuff like that. Um, I first started working um, full time in a uh, home health aid company, um, actually around here in Brooklyn, um, that my sister used, used to work in and they needed someone to, that was bilingual and so on and so forth. So they interviewed me, they liked me and they got hired. And it was a Jewish company, so it was very strict. Um, but I learned a lot from there, where it was a temp decision where I had to help in um, recruiting people for home health aid, so I was in charge of that. Um, but I was also um, helping out in intake, meaning that I had to align patients that needed care. Like, all of a sudden, like, one of their um, home health aides couldn't make it, so I was that person that had to like go around. and. Um, text all of them, mass text, like who's available for this time slot in this area and stuff. So I was doing that too. Um, and I also served as HR. Um, and it was a good experience, but I knew in my heart of hearts, like it wasn't it in the sense of like, even though I'm embarking on a completely different thing I would have ever thought, I felt it. Like I felt like I was, my, my, my dream completely, I knew had completely dissipated with the, the closed door, but it wasn't it. And that's where I remember going back to my tutoring job and finding another job, um, having two part times around this time, being accepted for a certain short time um, as a college assistant in the registrars for Fordham University. And then from there, I started seeing I like this, I like helping in schools. Um, and little did I know, a good friend of mine um, from InterVarsity was working in Hunter <laughs> College, which is my all the matter. And she told me, Hey, I don't know if you know, anyone who's, like, needing a job right now and stuff like that. I was like, well, me. You know, something like right. that. And she did. And and that was funny because um, I interviewed, and, and, it, and they liked me, and they, they took me in. And there I was able to do for three years, um, serve as a college assistant um, for basically helping um, both student accounts and staff and faculty and troubleshooting accounts and making sure they had access in our Hunter College community. Um, And I really liked it, so I was like, oh, this is awesome to help this, and also many of my relations were interdepartmental, so I was also, it wasn't just the IT helped us, as they called us, Um, it was also me engaging with registrar, admissions, um, HR, you name it. So it was awesome because there I was able (coughs) to make a lot of friends, actually, that's how I um, came across um, Brother Mike, (coughs) Mike Nisbeth. And, um, and yeah, it was great to kind of have that community in my alma mater and still engage as well with young adult students from InterVarsity because sure. that's also, you know, my alumni status, um, if that makes sense. Um, I really loved it, I really loved it. So there I was like, you know what, this would be good for further, but let's see if that ever happens. Because um, unfortunately, in the position I was in, it was only just a part-time, so there was no room for growth. So around this time, City Seminary of New York, one of the personnel, the dean, Maria, she reached out to me. I remember around the summer, she was like, hey, Millie, I'm building up a team to help a youth center, to establish a youth center or a program. And I thought about you, and we were praying discerning as a team, and we thought about you, and we knew about your um, work with youth ministry and stuff like that. So City Seminary, I did a non-degree program called Ministry Fellows, which is an amazing program that really is intentional of you knowing your demographics of your different boroughs, and how God is already at work there. And being intentional in knowing the community statistics, but also praying, but then investing forward. So they did an activity called Prayer Break Bread, which exactly was that. You prayed, and you broke bread. You invested in the community back. Um, so I did that program because of, I guess, being an alumni there, they also remembered my my story with young adults in youth around this time. Um, I thought about it and for me, you know, I prayed about it because around this time I was also resting from like just doing a lot of ministry stuff But I felt my heart to say yes, and I did you know and there I met an amazing team um, with um, With Rex for sure and Andy and Melissa which were a couple a newlywed couple Really fun and stuff Asian American couple and Rex is he's has gone in and completely awesome very very encouraging and we made a team Little did we know from that team doing research with different needs in different churches mm-hmm. for youth that we would build up and we would also get grants later um, for actually having the youth seminary. So around this time, I'm doing all of this voluntarily. But for me, like I love youth and growing youth, so I'm like, my heart was completely there. So I'm doing this um, voluntarily besides just working in Hunter, um, and little did I know after a certain time, there was going to be an open position in city seminary. So the dean told me about it, she was like, hey, I don't know if you're interested, we have an open position, send me your resume. And I did. And I think for me, the most interesting endeavor was to put both my my experience, I would say if you put it that way, like in in the real world with like ministry, because I've never like combined it at all until that day. Um, but it was good to kind of put it all together and give it in. Then later on, I remember they asked me for a writing sample. So in, in there, I was like, I was so thankful I went to the seminary, because there I could actually give them a writing sample of what, you know, basically are my beliefs, my balance system. Because um, of course, they also wanted to see if that aligned with their vision to help equip urban ministers as well. Um, and yeah, and little did I know within being interviewed twice, um, they would accept me the next year, which was last year in January, in mm-hmm. an opportunity to help, in, at least in that instance, um, it was just with student records in the youth seminary, but then later I knew the position was more where I became the enrollment manager, mm-hmm. so I was handling um, enrollment for admissions and registrar duties for their non-degree programs and their degree program, and I was also serving as a faculty for um, the youth seminary because mm-hmm. we did launch it. Um, and the co- main coordinator to handle the communications for parents and students and the churches. And so we did, I also oversaw that. Um, so as you can see, um, city seminary stretched me a lot in like, different areas of my expertise in events coordinator as well. That was really awesome to engage in like women leadership conference. Um, help out in conferences to help equip urban leaders, which they call Faith in City, and also be part of their book launch um, of the, mini- the main ministers there that they were um, doing, a minis- like a book launch regarding, I think, what it looks like to have senses in the city, which is actually, you know, like exploring your senses and what they've learned over the years in their own expertise and their own research. Yeah, and we were able also to do a research um, based on what we learned as well for the youth seminary, where I was part with um, Dr. Maria Louis Wong and Dr. Joe George. so I was part of also being a research assistant with them, mm-hmm. which was awesome because later on she presented it in an overseas conference, um, so yeah, internationally. So it was cool. Like, I yeah. did a lot of things there with them um, in higher ed, um, and it was, it was good for a certain season that I was in there for okay. sure. Cool,
2: cool.
0: Um, now, I, I think you mentioned something, I think, and I read on the website, it was about, um, you know, working to identify places to, to work in. Is it, is it to expand diversity in churches or, or something like that? I can't remember what the website said exactly. Okay. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about?
1: I'm not so sure. <laughs>
0: well, uh, well, I think the line was something about, um, working to do research to identify diversity needs. hmm Um. Yeah. In churches I believe yes, that, yes 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 so that's
1: the research component okay, that I engage with city Seminary. Um, and it was really awesome um, doing surveys and talking to mm-hmm. different like ministers mm-hmm. from different churches for sure. Um, I really enjoyed that because I came across to other Christians that were not like who were mm-hmm. not Latino or you know either African or African Americans because mm-hmm. that's a completely different culture too sure you know, and also Asian, Asian American. Um, So it was awesome to kind of engage with different demographics and all of them, you know, definitely having a heart um, for faith, you know, for Christianity, but also having a heart to learn more and equip others as well. Mm -hmm. So it was such a great experience for me to help in that research mode of like whether it be for the youth seminary times or we also had a a gallery in the city seminary, so we would also um, engage in seeing like how people interacted with different artwork you know because art you know god is a creative god he made all of us you know <laughs> so i definitely believe in that and and i believe in the tradition of faith in arts as well so it's one thing that we did engage a lot with um, the community as well mm-hmm. you know like you know we i remember the art curator who was a good friend of mine who would have at times workshops um free workshops for the community for them to, you know, like the kids, after school kids, to definitely have space to go ahead and draw and, you know, envision. He would give them prompts and stuff. And I'll never forget when we actually served um, a special needs and disabilities community too, where he gave some really, really great prompts for us to go ahead and engage and make sure that they had their watercolors, because they did watercoloring together, kind of expressing what love meant to them mm-hmm. in the paper. So it's, it was. Definitely awesome to kind of engage in different cultures, sure. different demographics of people, different ages. So it was completely um, that's one thing I have to say. I really love that experience that when we did a panel, um, for example, we made sure everyone was on the table. You know we made sure that there was um, someone who was African American, who was a woman, who was Latina, um, who you know if we had someone who was Asian or Asian American or South Asian American in the community we made sure we had a good rep- a good full representation mm-hmm. of different people and also different age groups, right. you know, and stuff, because, um, especially when it comes to doing a panel for youth, youth also want to see people like them in mm-hmm. a sense, like, their own age, you know, um, so it was great to embark with that, and it's something I would definitely cherish forever, whenever I go ahead and, you know, whatever space, um, I would say I'm opened up, I would definitely bring that forward.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, I think I think now we're getting to we're getting to the point of the interview where I have to ask about the political moment from 2016 yeah. and as to how that relates to everything you've told me because I think it encompasses you know your personal story um, growing up you know your college years you, you know higher ed like this political moment encompasses all that mm-hmm. So so tell me tell me your thoughts on 2016 what were you thinking of that political
1: moment? Oh, man. I th- I was hopeful. And I was hopeful, I would say, not because I think we all had speculations, of course, you know, of both runner-ups, you know, mm-hmm. Trump and Hillary Clinton, right? Uh, but I was hopeful that perhaps, honestly, maybe, just maybe, with all her flaws and everything, we would elect Clinton. And it would be finally a woman president, you know? Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it didn't go that way. Um, so for me, I honestly felt like it was a nightmare. I was like, "No, this is just a nightmare." Like, like when I saw in, you know, looking at news updates and how <clears throat> everything was going to his side, the electoral vote, not the, the popular vote, because I think the popular vote went more for Clinton right. than you know stuff like that. Um, my heart dropped, but I couldn't bear to see the end result. I remember I went to sleep and I was mm-hmm. like, "Nope, this is just a bad dream." No.
0: And when you woke up.
1: When I woke up and I saw and I checked my iPhone, I was like, this is a reality. (laughs) I think my heart sunk. Um, My family, too, we were all like, what's going to happen? And I never forget the city, being here in New York City and engaging in the sadness in the morning. Like, I have never seen New Yorkers. I've seen New Yorkers angry, for sure. But I've never seen New York be so sad.
0: The subway that I was on in the yes. morning, so quiet. Nobody was talking.
1: Absolutely, and you see, and some people I would see in the train, like they were crying, you know, like saying, "We can't believe we've come to this." Mm-hmm. And I have to say, the encounters also, because around this time I was working in Hunter still. When I went on campus, like it was dead. Like it, mm-hmm. it was like nobody wanted to be in the holes. I had a certain um, encounter where. Because I had my desk, it was like in the hallway. And um, they had like a freshman orientation um, seminar across from my desk. And a young girl came out with the, I guess, in the main teacher. And she was telling her, scared, please let me out early. Please excuse me. And she's like, why do you? And she was like so upset. She's like, why do you want me to excuse you? She's like, no, because I have fear. My family has fear for me right now. I'm Muslim, and I need to leave early. I need to leave early school. Mm -hmm. Please excuse me. I'll make up the work and things like that. And very reluctantly, unfortunately, um, this woman was like, fine. You know, in my mind, I was like, why? Why the uncompassionate glare? Mm -hmm. You know,
2: because it was a
1: minority-to-minority exchange Mm -hmm. for me to see that. And then after that, all of this, I never reacted. I was not crying. I I was in shock, Mm -hmm. complete shock. I saw that and I'll never forget my supervisor came in and she started crying saying, Millie, what's gonna happen to my family? Um, I have my family, I have, you know, like, or a document, or this, I don't know what's gonna happen with this nightmare here. And like, she was just, and I was trying to calm her down and, you know, I was like, hey, we have to be hopeful and things like that. But then I feel like it came back to me in a sense of like, what does this mean to me? I see how it meant to a person who I don't know. a complete stranger, you know, and then I saw a person who I did know, very, very um, dear to me, and I'm like, and there's when I crashed, and I started. I remember texting one of my leaders. Um, in that time I was in Christ Tabernacle, um, and he was so amazing and kind of helping me back and I'm telling him I'm scared. Like I don't know what's gonna happen. What if something happens to me, my family? What's gonna happen to my younger sister? Because I have a younger sister who was born here. You know, I want her to go through that grief. You know, what if we're all completely deported? Um, Because we knew, we heard the rhetoric of Trump, of him just saying, "Oh, we're not Mexican, but we share with the the hurt of what he said about that." Oh, all they bring is just, you know, like what rape is and um, just demeaning nature. You know, so we knew that. So we knew for sure, like he was gonna do a mass deportation, and we had to get ready. You know, so I'm venting out to this leader, I remember via text, and he's like, "Really, but remember who you are. Remember who is, you know, the owner of faith, and what is your identity, you know? And and it kind of shook me a bit, because I was like, wow, in all of this chaos, I forgot my faith. I forgot that, you know, God has brought me this far. He's not going to leave me, you know? And that's why I anchored myself in, Um, I have to say. But little did I know that that same day, um, that same day another young adult from our community in Hunter was going through the same fear um, and she went ahead and I'll never forget her post she vented out her whole story
2: mm-hmm.
1: of being undocumented, living in fear of being a DACA recipient and saying how do I make my faith with this, how do I bridge my faith pretty much and there's honestly I feel like for me it was the moment of God saying I need to share how you You've been experiencing this, and be honest. Um, It was really hard because, like, not, I didn't want everyone, not to say I don't love everyone, but because it's an open group for just us. Um, But I was like, you know what? Screw it. I don't care who knows about my story. You know, at this point, I need to help her in her need, and I want her to know that she's not alone, you know. And I remember telling her, hey, you're not alone. I'm here. I'm going through the same exact. And I told her specifically how I felt and how there is a God who's crying with us with what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say that, you know, that lament and grief, I think till this day, ever so often, I do see it in others. And I at times I experience that. I can't tell you. I'm always 100% okay. Um, but what gives me, I guess, the strength and the resilience to keep going is knowing that, you know, my faith but then also the encouragement i receive from others mm. the empowerment the education i receive from this country which i dare say is my country as broken as it is um because i don't know anything about peru or his history you know if you test me on the incas the only thing i can tell you is um atahualpa and then i'll be like wait does inca cola count you know and stuff like that i'll be honest right. you know um well that's great <laughs> yeah it's a drink it's not an drink. Just putting it out there, um. But my thing is like, I can't tell you anything about my own home country because I'm not from that country, even though I'm born there. You know, so I have to say like, I had to really, at least in that moment with this young adult, I had to come to terms like, I have to tell you my story, mm-hmm. and I'm okay. I'm okay with whoever knows because so be it. Um. So one thing I had to learn a lot is yes, I had to set liberty to the captains by sharing my story and knowing that it's okay because nobody's going to take out my resilience or my experience from this country um, or the empowerment of community. No one's going to take that away from me. Whether I'm deported or not, I'm okay with that Mm because even if I go back to Peru, I'm still going to be having that stance and helping my own Peruvian community as well. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I'm learning, you know, and I'm learning that this is the stance I take and I'm okay with it.
0: So, so tell me, how, how do you balance, um, you know, because I, I guess like you have conservatives who use Christianity to justify policies yes. today, mm-hmm. um, you have Democrats who, you know, use Christianity, religion to um, promote certain policies as well. Mm-hmm. Where, how do you see this like
2: mm. tug
0: of war between like both sides of the political spectrum yeah. in regards to faith?
1: I think it's based on the history. Um, unfortunately, and I say this completely honest, on just engaging in historical text and historical text also of spirituality of the United States, especially in the times of before slavery existed. Um, actually, United States of America is not a Christian nation, and it's hard to say it because. We feel, and I feel like many times, yes, everyone's like, God bless America, which is great, you know? I'm not wishing um, ill will against America in itself. But my thing is, when it comes to, if you put it that way, the other side, they need to kind of come to terms with history that all the time, anyone who wasn't white American was not considered American. Meaning that all of us minorities, whether it be Latinos, African Americans, Native Americans, all of us are like the other race, but all completely minorities and completely never attainable to kind of that, that white race, if you put it that way. But I think that is the, the thing that's happening today, which is people are not understanding that United States um, patriotism in itself shouldn't be the center of our lives and shouldn't be the center of our faith. Cause that displaces how we see our neighbor you know because then you know it will make us skew into being racist and not actually being compassionate um, and going against the practices that Jesus said for example one of the things that he said you know in you know love the Lord God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself and I'm pretty sure if you go to any white American they're not gonna want their children to be going ahead and going to low-paid jobs they wanted to go to t- top Ivy school top paid jobs whatever contest it can get for their kids to do that then if they want that for their own kids then why not love your neighbor who is not like you to aspire to something great as well just as you aspire for your own kids and i feel like that's really hard for them to understand because i have come across too um certain people that yes they have a good heart but they, they don't see color in a sense like oh no like oh wow racism existed? I never knew and I'm like are you kidding me you know but that's the thing because they, they've never actually engaged with other people's stories they've only engaged with people as resources
2: mm-hmm.
1: but not actually with their humanity and their right. stories mm-hmm. and I think that's what's happening you know where people have to be very true to themselves you know whether white American or not is like are you really putting who you say is your faith? Like I said, Christianity for me, the essence of the faith of Christianity is Jesus. So are you really putting Jesus in the center of your life or are you putting your patriotism? Because if you are putting your patriotism, unfortunately, um, you're gonna have it all wrong when it comes to learning certain policies and seeing the hurts of others. Um, Because honestly, when you put a nation above a loving God a God who loves all people all different nations honestly I'm not sure how you're gonna come into terms with having a very diverse population up in heaven because I really believe in heaven like there's not gonna be you know like Latinos on one side Indian Americans here White Americans here we're all gonna be all different colors and flavors together and if they can't accept um, people here and you can't love their neighbor right now I'm not sure what they're actually loving then. you know what I mean and and I think for me it's going to be and I know this and I knew this actually coming into even talking to you I know many people are going to agree with me or disagree with me and I'm okay to agree to disagree um for the mere reason that I know this is not really taught this is not really um set up in the open space, especially in churches. There's many churches, I have to say, are not even talking about the issues that is happening right now. They're being, I would dare say, colorblind. There's, you know, praying for, yes, the nations and everything like that, but yet, you know, like for example, an issue of mass incarceration, what's happening right now, profiling, do you think they're not about? No, you know what I mean? And that shouldn't be so, because these are her brothers and sisters too that are hurting that are being profiled just because of the color of your skin. You know what I mean? So I have to say that the way I engage this is really talking about, okay, let's talk about your patriotism. Let's talk about those texts that we have in our history. you know. And also I would say even the time before slavery, slavery was justifiable, which is so sad, um, even biblically where people would argue saying that, even scientifically would prove and compares so unfortunate to say this um, african-americans to like to monkeys and saying that no they're less than a person so the only reason they actually wanted to go ahead and actually save people were to make them a better slave not even for actually their complete liberty of, of a person you know physically rightfully politically nothing it was just for that and that is part of history mm. there's many documents about that and If people can just see, we're repeating history, honestly. We're repeating, again, um, inequality of rights, again, again, and again.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I'm like, if only we can come to terms and just say, enough is enough, we're hurting too much. Um, And we really need to make way and really need to draw into the table and settle our differences, you know, not even for our own sake right now, but also for our future generation, to not continue this. Um, I think we'd be a better nation, but we need to accept that honestly our center as a nation is not each other It's patriotism Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so final question I want to ask because this is um, a podcast geared towards the 2020 elections Mm -hmm. Um, Where do you see yourself like how do you see your role within the next two years? Um, As we move towards, you know The the next elections um, How do you see yourself within the conversation? You know, it, it doesn't have to be politically,
1: it could just be faithfulness. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, I definitely want to be connected to other um, immigration um, organizations to help mm-hmm. in a sense of whether it be to share my story or even to, because I'm also, so I'm also a New York City chaplain, so <laughs> that's another role. Um, so I do soul care, not only for Christians, just for in general, to so actually be that presence and helping bridge at times that grief or, or anger and dissonance so yeah like i think that would be one of my roles as well um in engaging in communities that you know definitely have you know undocumented um i do want to press in in that way too but i know for sure when it comes to faith wise um like i shared with you personally right now i'm in a transition where i will be um serving in a church for the main aim to help and as pastoral, um, as pastor, um, I will definitely be, and thankfully the senior pastor has the same heart as I do about faith and social justice and bridging it and having those conversations and really engaging and and loving our neighbors, even if they disagree with us and telling them, hey, we still love you at the end of the day. Um, So I think having those hard conversations, um, but then also asking others to be intentional in sharing each other's stories so that way, I would dare say, this can actually, whatever walls are building up, <laughs> can be dismantled. Because um, uh-huh. when you have a person's story, you know there you have a human face to it. Right. So every single time you hear the news, you will remember that person's story.
0: I love how you just subtly threw shade at the president.
1: <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, I'm completely okay with that. <laughs> um, it's tough. But anyways, it's not well, like he has a true shade anyways. Well. <laughs> Yeah.
0: True. <laughs> oh, my God. You guys heard it here. You know, I think that's one of the best burns I've ever heard. <laughs> well, Millie, I want to say thank you so much. You know, I think a lot of what you're saying, like, you've come to the right podcast, to the yeah. right place. You know, I'm hoping that um, we can expand on collaborative work that we can do for the that's faith so community, um, within the immigration community. And, um, you know, I think my main hope is for you to be able to take this episode, have other people listen to it, and be inspired to take action for themselves. Because that's what this is all about. And um, I want to also thank you for taking advantage of this opportunity. You know, um, you know, like you said, you know, your dream is to share your story, and mm-hmm. here you are, an hour and a half later, you know, having shared your story. Any final words before we sign off? I
1: guess my only final words is that you know, like. Even though I have my own stance regarding faith and social justice, I still, at the end of the day, I still love my Trump supporters. Sure. Um, as hard as it is in practicality, I have to say, because you know, of course, they're trying to definitely kick us all out. And if you put it that way, I still love them because I know they themselves are broken people, just like I am. Sure. You know. Um, and yeah, I would love to definitely interact more with them in the sense of just engaging in their stories to know why they think or believe what they believe or value what they value. But also know that it's okay for me to disagree or agree to disagree. Um, Because I feel like one thing I did share with a friend that I had recently who is also a a Trump supporter is that that's so much hate also of the other side of just saying, no, you guys are going to hell or things like that. you know, I really believe it's just a conversation away. It's right. just a breaking, breaking bread. You know, and just having that space of maybe some sort of tension, perhaps, but but knowing that I can still engage with them and break bread, and knowing that God loves you, you know, and God loves me too, mm-hmm. even though we have different opinions. You know, um, and I think that is my greatest desire: is just to show that, like, even though yes, I have this stance, and I will be very adamant, I will, in a sense, I will, if you're a Christian, I will take you to certain texts in scripture, talk to you about that, and we can agree of what, you know, the historical, cultural, um, or if you put it in termy, you know, stuff like that, exegesis, exegesis, as actually there for the text, um, but I will still agree to disagree in a sense, like, if you don't see it that way, I'm okay with that, but I'll learn something new, in the sense of like, this is what you guys understand, Um, Because I believe, honestly, without conversation, there's many, um, I would say, assumptions. And actually, if you put assume, you know, (laughs) I'm going to say it because it's okay. It's in the Bible. It makes an ass of you and me. You know, Um, it really does, you know, because if we assume certain things, certain biases, and we don't talk about it, then we're going to keep living with that. And I think it's, it's just good to engage with conversation. And I think that's my greatest encouragement. Um, For whichever side anyone takes, Mm -hmm. I just encourage you break bread, you know, just have a conversation with someone from the other side, hear their story, you know, and just listen, put away your biases for a bit and just listen to their story. Listen to, you know, how, what is their their passion, their essence of why they did what they did. Um, But listen to the humanity and relate and put yourselves in their shoes for one minute. And the same for the other, you know, and hearing the other story too.
0: Um, and I believe it'll be okay. Sure. and mm-hmm. you know, just to wrap it up, I want to say you know I completely agree that that's you know more of the stance that I have in, in presenting you know I when mm-hmm. when I go present my film, it's a film both to both sides you know mm-hmm. it, it's appealing it's talking about my personal story but the humanity that comes with, you know not not being you know I mean I myself you know I, I'm a Democrat, but like, you know, understanding both sides, understanding how, like, you know, one story, like, can be shifted either way, um, and definitely speaking to people with different political views, definitely, and, uh, the second part is, uh, that's very important, one story away, so that's why, like, I love, you know, this podcast, and what we've built as a community together, Mm -hmm. so, like, you can take this one story, and they can have an influence on someone else, so Mm -hmm. Millie, thank you so much, and I really appreciate you
1: having been on the Immigration Mic Podcast. Well,
0: thank you, Handel, for the opportunity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: anybody ready for some food? Yes, <laughs> let's go eat. <laughs> what do you want to eat? Mexican. <laughs> that. That- oh, there is a great Mexican place. All right, and
0: that's the end of this week's episode. If you're interested in having me come speak at your school, church, university, panel, or conference, write me in the contact form at www.immigrationmic.com or just send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at Handle Media. That's at H E N D E L M E D I A. And let's make some work happen. Talk to you then.